a doctor? But probably not the one you're expecting. Don't worry, this isn't a critical timing malfunction, nor are you in a temporal orbit. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's a favourite in the Humanian, Rathalon and Sumerian time periods. In each episode, we take a look at different aspects of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord played by Paul McGann. I'm not Paul McGann, I'm Kenny Smith. <laughs> and I'm Rebecca Chapman. And you're not We're Paul McGann either. I'm definitely not Paul McGann, no. <laughs> We're continuing our quest to feature the Eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else. This week, we're doing something a little different, as we are talking to someone who owns a special piece of Doctor Who history. Over the years, there have been various auctions at which fans could buy props, costumes, and even monsters from Doctor Who as shown on TV. However, today's guest owns something that really, unless you're a multi-millionaire, you're unlikely to ever be able to afford to purchase. And this is a special one-off that he owns. Absolutely correct, Becca. In this week's Pieces of Eight, we're chatting with Paul Salamoff, who is the owner of the original TARDIS console, as seen in the TV movie. There's a very good copy of it in the UK. In fact, Sylvester McCoy's been pictured of it, and it was in Glasgow a few years ago. But this is the original, you might say. Sadly, I wasn't able to join you for this chat, so tell me all about it. Well, I first discovered that this original prop existed after reading about it online. There was a piece showing how it had been appearing at a convention, and there was a piece all about how Paul had come into possession of the console, and how he and a couple of friends had spent a hell of a long time working on it, and restoring it, and getting it back to its pretty much screen-ready condition which it just looks so beautiful. I mean, I know that we've both raved about it in the podcast before um, when we've spoken with the likes of Phil Siegel and E.G. Cho. You're used to the bigger console rooms, aren't you? Oh, I know. <laughs> I am. I am. I remember the first time I saw the inside of TARDIS, and obviously it would have been when um, Eccleston came back on the TV show. It was just such a beautiful thing. You know, obviously before this I'd been a fan of Star Trek and Stargate and Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Anything with the word star in it, basically. Exactly. If it sounded remotely spacey, I probably liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so like control rooms were a thing that I was quite familiar with and everything else. But the idea of a console room was quite new, Yeah, but also familiar. Yeah, particularly something that's bigger in the inside. I mean... For me, as a fan, having grown up with 20th century Doctor Who, for me, the TARDIS console room was always a sort of whitish, greyish room with the round old walls around the outside and the console in the middle of it. Occasionally a door, and now and again you'd see the odd TARDIS corridor or the odd bedroom. And on very rare occasions, we'd get a little tour like in Legopolis and Castrovalva at the end of Tom Baker's era and the start of Peter Davison's, or you'd see a few more rooms like the Zero Room, the Cloister Room, and the cloister room is nothing like the one in the TV movie, of course. But so that's fine for me when we got the TV movie and we got this huge console room that is just massive inside. It was a bit of a system shock because you think, 
actually, this does make sense. Why would the console room just be one small room in the corner of a TV studio built pretty much at the last minute to fit around all the other sets? I just love the console room in the TV movie. It's something we've spoken about at length before, how much that I would love to have the money to build a copy of it. And if I can win the lottery and just have a massive purpose-built house, this would be the central hub of it. It would be my library with all my DVDs and things in it. Yeah, I would love it. Mm. Yes, you can. You're more than welcome to come anytime you like. I have to say, I did love the the TARDIS console that was introduced in the Five Doctors. It was loads of buttons on it and it looked fabulous. And when I was wee, God, it must have been nine or ten, I would get old cardboard boxes from the shopping when we'd been out and I would put them in my bedroom and put them on top of a couple of tables and I would build my very own TARDIS console, drawing buttons on the boxes, even had a time rotor in the middle, so it's like four boxes that would be the same, then one in the, one sat on top of them, and then I'd make a sort of time rotor bit to go in the middle. So yeah, so that was Kenny's cardboard console. That's adorable. But anyway, so from Kenny's cardboard console, it's time to get some wood and meet this week's guest. Paul Salamov. Hello, I'm Paul J. Salamoff. Uh, I'm a writer, producer, uh, director, and I actually own the TARDIS console from the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie. Paul, first of all, welcome to Pieces of Eighth. But before we talk about the console, could you tell us how you first discovered Doctor Who? Yeah, that's great. So I grew up uh, on the East Coast of the United States. As you can tell, I have this outrageous accent, so you might not be able to understand me. Uh, So being being from America, um, on the East Coast, we actually had a PBS station called WGBH. I, I grew up in the Boston area. And they would show the Tom Baker Doctor Who, you know, episodes. And I sort of stumbled upon them one day. I was like, oh, you know, what's this? When I was like really young and just really started getting into it. And then what they would do is really interesting. When they would get a new season, they would start from the beginning of, you know, they'd start with Robot and they would get all the way to the end of the, you know, his Tom Baker's first season. They would get the next season. So they would start at Robot again, go all the way through, and then you'd get the new season then start over again at Robot again when they get the new season. So I would see these things over and over again. And I became really, you know, obsessed. I mean, Tom Baker's my doctor. And they finally then got, so we went into Peter Davison after Tom Baker, but then they got John Pertwee and uh, we never got Colin Baker, at least when I was there. So I got to see all of Tom Baker's all of Peter Davison's and all of John Pertwee, you know, and that, and that was, um, and I used to record them too, because I was just so obsessed with it. So I probably still have my VHS tapes up in my attic. What do you recall of the first time you saw the TV movie? Well, this is kind of interesting because, um, so I used to be involved with the Academy of, or I guess I still am, with the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films. And the president knew I was a big Doctor Who fan. And I actually got to go to the premiere of it at the Director's Guild, which was amazing. So I actually went with, and you know who I brought? I brought Eric Wallace, who's, you know, the, because um, he was my only other really big Doctor Who fan. Eric um, is a, he's a producer of the, the Flash, the Flash TV series. Um, and, you know, he's a comic book writer and, and stuff like that. And they had the TARDIS there. And I'm trying to think who was there from it. Philip, I think, was there. And it's been a while, but I got to actually see it on the big screen at the Director's Guild, you know, before it was on television. And then 
you know, I also obviously watched it when it premiered on Fox, you know, praying that it was going to resurrect the series. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so pretty crazy that, you know, I actually got to go to that. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So before we talk about how the console came into your possession, could you maybe tell us a wee bit about your professional life, which sort of dovetails with, with all of that? Sure, sure. By the way, actually, one thing I should probably mention too is that Daphne Ashbrook <laughs> used to live right down the street from me. She's now no way. Down, but yeah, so Daphne used to, actually Daphne used to live right down the street from me <laughs> in, in uh, Burbank, California. And I have a very funny John Levine story. He used to live in Burbank too, or live in the area. That's a funny story. We'll get to if we have time. So okay, professionally, so. As I told you, I'm from originally from the East Coast, but I was able to, I got into USC and I uh, came out here for film school and but started working in the industry right away. I, I wanted to be a makeup effects artist since I was 13 years old. And um, I was lucky enough to start working in the industry pretty much right away while I was still at school and did makeup effects for the first 14 years of my career, working on over 40 films and 10 TV series. And then I sort of decided, hey, I'm gonna branch out and see what other things I can do in the industry and taught myself how to become a writer. And I started producing stuff and became an executive. I was vice president of production for Bold Films. They're the company that did Bobby. I was there with them for Bobby, um, but you know, they did Drive and Nightcrawler and Whiplash and like all those films. You know, professionally, I'm gonna consider myself a writer first, but I've, and I've written short stories, I've written novels, nonfiction books, comic books and graphic novels. And I just recently directed my first feature, a film called Encounter with Luke Hemsworth that if you have Amazon Prime, it's also available in the UK. And I'm currently nominated for a Saturn Award for best independent film. Oh, congratulations. Encounter, Fingers crossed that it all works out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Me too. It's won a lot of awards. We played in a lot of film festivals and I actually won a Best Director Award. Tom Atkins won a Best Supporting Actor Award and I won Best Sci-Fi Film from, um, from Film Threat. So it's been very exciting. It's been very exciting. Jack of all trades. Like a writer first, but jack of all trades. I do a lot of, a lot of interesting things. So how did you come to be in possession of this wonderful console? Okay, yeah, this is a little bit of a story, but I'll try to keep it succinct as possible. All right, so when I was a producer, I wound up producing this movie called Cemetery Gates. It's a, a horror movie. And my uh, makeup artist on it was from England, and she wasn't a Doctor Who fan. And that drives me crazy when I meet people from England that never watched Doctor Who. So I would tease her about it, you know, while we were working on the movie. So after the movie, whatever, I was at Comic-Con, I was down at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and I built I built a Dalek, okay, actually with help from Greg Nicotero from um, K&B, which was really nice. So I built this Dalek, and I had pictures of it, and I was sort of like showing it off at, at Comic-Con to people. A Genesis of the Daleks Dalek, in, in case you were wondering, which is sitting right over there in my office. So, you know how crazy Comic-Con is, how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there. So I run into her, I run into, you know, the makeup artist um, for my movie. And I was like, oh, hey, I was just thinking of you. I just built my, I built my Dalek. Like then I showed her a picture knowing that she wouldn't give a crap. And she she goes, you know what, Paul? I was actually thinking of you recently. She goes, because my best friend, um, her boyfriend has the TARDIS and wants to get rid of it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? Because, yeah, he has the TARDIS and wants to get rid of it. I'm like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like, what TARDIS? <laughs> and and she's, she's like, well, I don't know, but he's going to be here in like a half an hour. 
Okay, and, and you can talk to him. And I'm like, all right. And then I grabbed him by the shoulder. I'm like, you're not going anywhere until he arrives. Okay, so, and of course, he was two hours late. But I hung out with him for two hours. Glad I did. And he arrives. And it turns out that he was the prop company that built it up in Vancouver. That was his company. And he said, look, you know, I actually own it because the BBC actually didn't pay him to build it. They paid him, like, and they were going to rent it from him. You know what I mean? So it was some kind of deal. So he literally had it in his shop. And he said, look, this thing is just taking up too much space in my, you know, in my shop. I just want to get rid of it. I can't rent it out to anybody because it's too iconic. He goes, I'd love to sell it to you. And I'm like, I would love to buy it. <laughs> and as luck would have it, he was building a float because it was up in Vancouver, right? You can only imagine what it would cost to ship it, right? He was building a float for the Rose Bowl. And he goes, I will stick it on the truck, on the same truck and drop it off to your place. And he basically sold it to me for pretty next to nothing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and it, it was in kind of rough shape, you know, when I got it. But, you know, certainly, you know, it was the TARDIS console. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, that's how I got it. Complete happenstance. That's incredible. So how much of it was damaged and missing? As I believe that it would have needed a bit of work, but some of the lights were still in working condition. Oh, oh yeah. So all the lights, all the lights were working. Okay. Uh, though when you turned it on, it would start to smoke a little bit because they're all they were all halogens in there. Okay, and there was probably a lot of collection of dust. So there were parts of it, like the cloth feet were a little. One of the cloth feet was broken, but it was still you know, intact. There were some switches that were missing, and the rotor was was missing. Okay, but being a makeup effects artist for 14 years, I know how to rebuild things <laughs> and rebuild them really well. And with the help of two of my friends, Bob Mitch, who's really big in the cosplay, you know, uh, world of, of Doctor Who, and Brian Wiega, who does like his actually his job is he makes the machines that restore movies. Okay, and he is like an, an engineering genius. So. The two of them being enormous Doctor Who fans, and Brian specifically being a huge fan of the, you know, the Doctor Who movie, which was the first Doctor Who he ever saw. You know, this was like a dream to, to work on this and restore it. So the three of us spent months just taking this thing apart and sourcing parts and refurbishing it, building a base for it, and replacing the halogen lights with LED lights inside. We, wanted, we didn't want to mess with it too much, but we knew we wanted to bring it to conventions and share it with people. And you just couldn't leave the halogen lights on for that long. But with LEDs, you can. And then Brian, in his infinite wisdom, said, why don't we put a sound package into it and we'll connect it to the switches. So we got the original sounds from the TV movie and, you know, it's now, you know, lights and sound. So when you flick certain switches or when you pull the thing across the panel, you know, like the door open, you know, everything, everything, you know, works on it. And, and I've subsequently like built other parts of it. So I built one of the, um, the, the stands because, you know, it's got the, the massive things that connect to it. Right. So I built part of one of them and I actually recreated the, um, the TV monitor, the monitor really accurately. I mean, like I really painstakingly, you know, we got like, measurements and stuff like that and really painstakingly recreated these things so it felt as you know screen accurate as possible 
That's incredible. I take it that when it came to replacing parts, you'd be examining the movie up close, getting screen grabs or finding production stills just to make sure you well, knew exactly what was missing. Well, that's the problem. Well, well, see, that's the problem. We had Philip Siegel's book, The Regenerations, but there's not a lot, and Philip will tell you this, there's not a lot of material that was, they didn't take a lot of pictures on set. There's actually not a lot of reference material. That's why people like reach out to me a lot because they don't, there's, there really isn't it out there. So um, stuff has been found recently and there's been like, I've got a lot, people send me stuff every once in a while, which is great. But we had enough of the stuff to be able to source it properly. You know what I mean? Like there were like it would be like we would have some switches and one or two of them would be missing. You know what I mean? And so I'd have the other ones as reference. So, you know, we really tracked that stuff down. But you know, a lot of the stuff was built out of random crap that you can only get in England. <laughs> so thank God most of that like the, the you always missing the the thing that rotates the thing that uh opens up the um i don't know what it's i don't remember the crank you know what I mean? so we had to recreate the crank rebuild some of it like the knob on it was missing so we would sort of were able to recreate that i think we actually even um lathed that or something you know what i mean like it was it was something that we like we would create parts if we had to or i would make molds of parts and pour them up in resin I, I just love your dedication and attention to detail because that's what fans do. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, here's the thing you got to understand. You know, I always say this is like lucky that it came to me. You know what I mean? And I'm sure there's other fans out there who would you know be the same as it, but lucky it came to me because not only do I understand what a piece of history this is, Doctor Who. I mean, I, I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was like five years old. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like it's in some like you know, I'm a casual fan. No, my whole office, I mean, I got a Zygon behind me for crying out loud, and I've got a Morbius to my left, and I've got Doctor Who action figures and Daleks and stuff like that. It's, I'm a true fan. But beyond that, I'm also somebody who knows how to restore this thing. And beyond that, I'm also somebody who wants to share it with the fans. You know, that's the thing. There are people who get props and they put it away in their private collection, never to be seen again. My whole purpose was, before I took this to conventions, I would let diehard Doctor Who fans come to my house and see it. Because I know what it meant to them. You know what I mean? And bringing it to the convention, you know, yeah, people would say, aren't you afraid it's going to get damaged? Yes. Of course I was afraid it's going to get damaged, especially when I'm taking it to Long Island or taking it to, you know, um, Texas or something like that. Of course. But that versus being able to share it with fans because it's the only TARDIS console in the United States. Absolutely. So, you know, and it's a piece of Doctor Who history and the fact that people can have their picture taken with it and touch it and play with some of the switches, I'm okay with that because if they break it, I can fix it. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, 99% of them are completely and utterly respectful of it and they almost don't want to touch it you know what i mean so i think that's important you know what i mean i think that's important and that's why i always say i think it's good that it came to me because all those things those three things you know and trust me i'm, I'm not an arrogant person or an egotist <laughs> it's just you know I, I i i i understand how important that thing is 
You know Absolutely. what I mean? And it's worth more than money to me. People yeah. have tried to buy it from me over the years. It's not, it, I, I'm, I'm sure I can make a lot of money selling that thing, but, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? Because I get to do podcasts with you. You know what I mean? And I get to be part of, you know what I mean? I get to go to conventions and I get to be part of the Doctor Who community and I get to be friends with Paul McGann and Sylvester McCoy and with Yiji and Daphne and, you know, the, the whole group. You know what I mean? It's like they're legitimately my friends. And it's, you know, to be a part of something that I was a fan and still am a fan of is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I think I remember reading somewhere that you'd added a few bits here and there just to make it easier to transport, like fixing the, the base to uh, something wooden just to give it a bit of structural integrity. Yeah, yeah, actually um, we built a base for it with wheels and stuff like that, but the base is actually made because Brian, you know, was redoing his um, uh, an office and he wanted it to be the same flooring as the TARDIS. So he had extra stuff and he gave me that stuff. So it is actually like the same kind of slats that are in the TARDIS in the TV movie. People must have been really surprised when they heard that this console exists when you first unveiled it at a convention. Because I remember seeing the pictures over here in Scotland and just like, bloody hell, it's there, it's real, it's not been trashed. Yeah. And just there was that, yes! Do you, know who, do you know who was the biggest surprised? Philip Siegel. Like he was, he was literally like he, and I had known him. I had known him through, you know, because he, he's the reality show producer as well. And I had known him through, I met him somewhere and I had known him. Like I think I pitched stuff to his, his uh, company and I'd worked for his company on some things, but he didn't know I had it. And when he showed up, you know, he, and he saw it, he had thought it had been destroyed. He, he thought it didn't exist anymore. And he really like, he told me, he said how much it meant to him it meant so much to him to know that it had survived and that it was in somebody's hand who was giving it love. And, and what was really amazing is Philip said to me, he goes, he looked down because I'd recreated the TARDIS bag because that's where we kept our, uh, the electronics and the sound stuff in. And he said, you know what, Paul? He goes, I have the original bag. And I'm like, oh, wow, really? He's like, yeah. And he's like, and I have some other stuff from the TV series. He's like, I want to give it to you. I'm like, what? And he was like, I want to give it to you. I want you to be sort of like the curator of, of this stuff. And and I was like, try not to freak out. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like thinking, try not to freak out. And Phil said, look, when the conventions, you know, after the convention, you know, I've got some stuff to do, just reach out to me and I'll have you come to my house and there's some stuff I want to give you. And I'm like, oh, great. And I'm like, okay, is this really going to happen? Couple, it was like a month later or something like that. Came to his house and he gave me one of the staffs of Rassilon. He gave me the original bag and he gave me a bunch of other things. Actually, one of the things I wound up giving to Matthew Jacobs. I'm like, Matthew, you should have this. I, mean, I think it was like, it was this nice plaque and something like that. He also gave me up here, this is the, the Doctor Who chess set. This is oh, that wow. really nice Doctor Who chess set with all the, you know, the computer. I, I know, I'm sorry, I know we're on a uh, on an audio thing, but yeah, I've got, this is, it's all, it's beautiful. It's It's that really, beautiful chess set and uh it was funny when he handed me the 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 bag the doctor's bag he goes oh there might be a sonic screwdriver in there and my brain is like going don't freak out and i'm like really 
was like, it's really, it's like, I could not get to my car. He probably doesn't know this, but so Philip listens to this. I could not get to my car fast enough. And the first I opened it up and lo and behold, there was one of the prop sonic screwdrivers in there. And it's like, I could, I lost my mind. It's actually in a really nice, I have it in a really nice um, display case. You know, when I bring it to the conventions and stuff like that, I bring those props sometimes to the conventions. But it was funny because there was like a Doctor Who prop that was just up for auction recently, and there was a concern of whether it was authentic or not, and people were reaching out to me, and I'm like, look, I, I honestly have one of the originals. You know what I mean? So I don't know whether that's authentic or not, but I know the one I have is authentic. You know what I mean? So so just amazing. But once again, I really take wonderful care of this stuff. I mean, I wish people could see my, um, you know, my office. You know what I mean? Like you could really see that this is loved. It is taken care of. It is not, I, I look at that every time I sit, I look at the TARDIS console every time I sit down behind my desk and, and work on my scripts and stuff like that. It is in my eye view. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I, right now, from where I'm talking to you, you've actually got the TARDIS console in sight of you. Yeah, yeah, it's in my office. It's, it's oh, literally fantastic. about 20 feet away from me. Oh my God. I so wish I was there. <laughs> I wish there was a face-to-face -face chat because um, I would be playing that thing for ages. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I'll, when we're done, I'll, I'll give you a little tour of my office. Or, Please do. Please do. Yeah. Kind of wait. Oh. You've had quite a few of the people who were involved with the movie meet the console again after all these years. Yeah, it's lovely. It's like, so, you know, I always, we always try to give them the room too. You know what I mean? Like give them some time to, to just spend with it as well. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's a nice memory for, for everyone involved. And that's why it's been so lovely being able to bring it to different conventions that usually they they have it there when there's people from the doctor who tv movie so you know they can take their pictures with it and you know gather around it and you know it, it's 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 so what's been so lovely is that i've become legitimately friends with these people you know what i mean yeah. and, i mean especially people like you know eg is hilarious <laughs> but daphne and i were really became really close friends because like you know i told you she lives up the street from me you know it, it's 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 just been so wonderful it's it's really been so wonderful to have people you know and just other you know doctor who fan you know uh, sorry other doctor who uh, like fraser hines is one of my close friends i mean so like he uh you know he always loves you know seeing the console and stuff like that too and you know i'll invite people up. we actually did a sylvester mccoy day at my house where it was just a private event for you know these Doctor Who fans, and they had lunch with them and spent private time with him and got their picture taken with him in the TARDIS console, which is really lovely. One of my favorite stories is helping Sylvester McCoy check into his flight <laughs> at LAX. We're like, I'm literally helping the Doctor. I'm now the Doctor's companion. <laughs> For that brief moment, helping him sign into his uh, <laughs> sign into his uh, his flight back to England, I got to be a Doctor Who companion. Just for that briefest moment. <laughs> what a good feeling! What a good feeling! So I love that console, and if I won the lottery, how much would you want for it? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that's the thing is it's priceless to me. You know what I mean? It's I I hope I have that. And for the rest of my life i mean i really i really do it it, it i know it's a weird way because it's just a, it's a prop right but it makes me feel special in a way 
You know what I mean? It makes me feel like I'm actually connected to the Doctor Who community, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a palpable way. And it sort of led to wonderful things. Like, you know, I got to write, Nick Briggs is like a really good friend of mine too. And I finally got to write a Doctor Who audio adventure. You know what I mean? And, you know, I can, I can certainly say that having the console probably had something to do with it. You know, it's opened doors for a lot of things, you know, so it, it's beyond just the prop. It, it, it's, it's created a community for me. You know what I mean? And, and it brings me so much pleasure to share it with people who really are legitimate Doctor Who fans. You know what I mean? So I get something from that as well. So, you know, yeah, it's not, I don't know if there's a, a, a number big enough. I mean, I'm sure there is. We all have our price, right? But I, I, have, I haven't heard it yet. You know what I mean? And I haven't, I haven't given any consideration because it's not a priority for me to sell that. Absolutely. No, thank you for all that you've done in preserving it because it definitely couldn't have gone to a better home, which is great. And it's, from the pictures I've seen, it looks, it's just perfect. So next time I'm over your way, can I come round and play with it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I always, I always try to make time for Doctor Who thing. Like, you know what I mean? Because like I said, I know what it means. I know, are you kidding me? I know what that thing is when I look at it in the corner. It's not lost on me. <laughs> so yes, of course. Course. Thank you. Well, Paul, that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us on Pieces of Eighth today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's the thing. It's like that's one of the things that Charles Council gets. I, I, you know, get to do this. I get to make new friends. You know what I mean? And you know, that's what this is all about. So thank you for having me. I really feel. I really appreciate that. And wish you all the success with with, with this podcast. Remember, if you want updates on our latest episodes and other things we've been up to, plus other 8th Doctor news and rarities and silliness, remember to follow us on Twitter, where we're at pieces of 8th, with 8th written out as a full word, rather than a number with TH at the end. That's at pieces of 8th, P-I-E-C-E-S-O-F-E-I-G-H-T-H. We'd like to say a huge thanks to Paul for his time in talking to us. Then again... He's got all the time in the world, given that he's got a TARDIS console and can nip back an hour or so if he needs to. That would be helpful. That's all we've got time for this week, and we'll be back next time to head into the Time War as we discover how the Doctor survived the Centauran ordeal. Indeed we will, as we'll be joined by Andrew Smith, who's the one what wrote it, and of course your guilty pleasure, Dan Starkey, who played Commander Jask. So, until next time, I have been Kenny Smith. And I was Rebecca Chapman. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>